You can be seated. If you pray for the preacher while he preaches, do that for me today, because we're talking about money, and it's, it's going to be good. Uh, I'm just delighted that you come week after week to give yourselves to sit under the preaching and the teaching of the words of Scripture, that you've come to believe that you cannot live on bread alone. You can't do it, but you need every word that's come from the mouth of God for you. And so for a generation or two or three, we're hoping to keep doing that in this room, give ourselves to the words of God. Uh, There'll be scripture up on this screen. Those are the words that guide what we're doing today. My job is to just helpfully and faithfully unpack and contextualize and press the words of scripture into your soul. So we're preaching for these several weeks on the doctrine of the church, and this is what we've said so far. When we believe the gospel, we receive God as our father, and we receive the church as our mother. This verse is from Galatians chapter 4. The Jerusalem above, the city of God that you belong to, is free, and she is our mother. We are born again to her. We are nurtured by her in the grace of the gospel. And we are on mission with her to be fruitful like a mom. Jesus gives you the church as your mother, to whom you are born, by whom you are nurtured, with whom you are fruitful. So we've said that if we love Jesus, we will necessarily love Jesus' church, Jesus' people, Jesus' family. We will give ourselves fully to this. The word for that is church membership. We are members of the family of God or members of the body of Christ. And we live together in a covenantal way. By that, we mean that I look at you and you look at me and we look at each other and say, I am for you and you are for me and we together are going to be for Jesus. And there's going to be certain gospel habits or practices that inform that covenantal living together. All right. Today, the one that I'm pressing with you, this is our fourth one, is that one of those gospel practices is that we give our money. Seven Mile Road is a church. It exists because her members give their money to fund the work that is done here week after week, day after day. There are some outside funds that support some of what we do, but this year it's somewhere between 85 and 90 percent of the operating costs of the church are funded from you and from me. There is no endowment behind us. There is no checks coming in from a denomination in the background. We're a young church. We are seeing to it with our generosity that this thing happens. Now, there's a couple of words I can think of to describe that reality. One is scary. Another is awesome. The Father has invited you, invited you into, through your giving, this thing that he is doing of saving sinners and making disciples and raising children in the gospel and planting churches and caring for the saints. He has invited you into that. And what we say in response to that invitation is, I am in. 
my heart, and so my wallet is in on seeing my church really well-funded and amply provisioned for her work. I want to talk with you today about what it looks like for us to give with that kind of a heart. Okay, let's pray together and we'll press into it. Father, we love money. We're Bostonians. I pray that in your grace, you would strip our hands of glue and move on our hearts to be the most generous church that the state of Massachusetts has ever seen. That is my prayer. I pray that you would do it. Hear and answer. Amen. Amen. Okay, let me start here. I hate spending money. Does anyone else live in that world with me? I know it's a problem, right? Brooke and I need intervention. I always feel like I work so hard to earn this money that I don't want to see the money go away, you know? I just want to hold it, and I want to pet it, and I want to talk to it. I worked so hard for you, little poochie money, didn't I? Yeah. Because of this, I have a PhD in the art of what is called getting something for nothing. You know about that degree that you can get? Have you ever seen Pavlov's dog and the dinner bell? Bing, and the head starts bouncing around. Where's the food? For me, that's the word free. You say the word free, and I just, huh? Was that you, Cindy? Free? Where? When? Because I'm there. I'll give you an illustration. I bought some weights on Craigslist last year, just so this doesn't get too ridiculously flabby in my 40s. And uh, I went to this posting, and there was this list of just the weights that I can actually lift, and they were like half of what the retail price would have been to go start from scratch with those weights. And so I'm starting to get a little bit excited here. But then I got down to the bottom of the posting and I read the most beautiful words. It said, and I'll throw the bench in for free. I told Brandon and Matt, stop what you're doing. We're driving to Peabody right now. I'm getting myself a free weight bench. I was telling people about this deal for weeks. Gospel community was at my house and I was like, Look at this weight bench. Look at this thing. It goes up and down. Ask me how much I paid for this. Come on, ask me. Nothing. Look at it. Free. The bench cost me nothing. Okay, my heart loves that. That's a personality wiring. It's potentially morally neutral, But it's much worse with me. It actually stumbles into sinfulness in all kinds of ways. So let me give you an example of this. This is a confession of sin from my youth. My sophomore year of college, we went to a midnight movie, movie that started like around 11.35, 11.45. And we walked up to the counter, and there was nobody there. There was not one worker in the lobby of this whole movie theater. And so we kind of did a circle and looked around and waited, nothing. And so we kind of said to ourselves, sweet, incompetent movie theater management, we're going to get a movie for free tonight. So we walked right into the theater, watched the movie, walked out, money was still in my pocket, got back to our dorm room, and I was actually bragging to my roommate about this. Dude, free movie. They didn't even have anyone working. Cost me nothing. 
And I'll never forget, isn't it great when God puts holy people in your life? Isn't that awesome? This holy roommate of mine looked at me and said, I don't know why you guys would do that. That is not right. That is not right. He was right. In my heart, I should never have dreamed of taking advantage of a situation where I could get something for nothing, even if it wasn't the right thing to do. My heart should have been troubled at the idea of of that even crossing my head and not at least leaving my money on the counter and going to watch the movie. I could give you other worse examples. I'll leave it at that. Now, I say all of that by way of introduction to say this. Nowhere in your life will that specific temptation be more real, more justifiable by your Bostonian culture, and more dangerous for your soul than right here, than when it comes to how much you give to Jesus and to his church and to his work. It's be a huge temptation. And there's only one remedy for this, and that is getting your heart to a place where your hands love to give. That's the remedy. Right now, the scriptures are filled literally with hundreds of texts and hundreds of big ideas on how to get your heart to that place. I could run through so many with you. Today, we're just dealing with one, right? So sometimes we preach and we try to say one thing that your soul would get by the Spirit. So here's the one thing that I'm trying to say to you today. As ransomed sinners who have received the grace of Jesus, we are called to give to his work sacrificially, sacrificially. Or I could say it a different way, like this. Your giving to Jesus and his church is supposed to cost you something. It's supposed to cost you something. Okay. It should be unthinkable, unthinkable for someone who has received the grace of Jesus to either never give anything or to only give a little bit out of our leftovers or our extra. Those are the two things that I want to deal with today, to say, I'm not going to give anything or, okay, I'll give, but it's only going to come out of my leftovers and my surplus. I'm going to deal with those two today. So the first is this temptation, the temptation to not give. This is the temptation to let someone else next to you carry the costs of the work that Jesus is doing of worship and discipleship through his church. Okay, I know of no text of scripture that speaks to this temptation more clearly, and I hope and is going to blow it out of your soul this morning, than the one that Matt read before, 2 Samuel, the story of David. This is what the text said. Gad, who was a prophet, came to David, who was the king, and said, go up and raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Araunah. Bro, we got to work on your Hebrew name pronunciation, Araunah. That's probably not even right, but that's my shot. So David went up at God's word as the Lord commanded. When Araunah looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And he went out and he paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. 
And he said, why has my Lord the king come to his servant? And David said, I have come to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord. Okay, so picture this. Arauna is up on his threshing floor and you have no idea what threshing floor is. So let me explain this to you. Let's say that you were a farmer with a field like Nebraska, Iowa, something like that. When you grow crops, the green, the, the rich, heavy green is in the middle of the stalk that's growing. And on the outside of it is the chaff or the husk. And what you need to do is separate the greens from the chaff or the husk. To do that, you need a wide, flat, level floor that is as high up on a mountain or a hill as possible. Why? Because it's wicked windy up there, and what you're going to do is beat on that green. That's called threshing. Beat on it, and the green, the heavy green, will fall to the ground on your level threshing floor. It won't roll off, and the chaff, the husks, will break apart, and the wind will just blow it away. So if you were a farmer, at the end of the day, a good day, you would be standing knee-deep in green on your level threshing floor and the wind blowing through your hair or across your ball head and you would feel good about yourself. All right, so this is what Arauna was, Arauna was doing and he looked down off of the threshing floor and he sees David coming and he gets nervous, he gets excited. King, why are you coming to see me? And David says, I need to buy your threshing floor to build an altar to worship the Lord. The work of worship needs to get done, and I'm going to pay for it. Then Aruana said to David, let my Lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. And then he said this, here are the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing sledges and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. All of this, O king, Arauna gives to the king. Okay, that's Bible. And what just happened right there? Basically, Arauna is the worst negotiator in the history of the Bible. That's this right here. Arauna said to David, I got this. I got this. I will give you my threshing floor. You don't have to pay for it. It's yours. And I will give you the wood for the fire. Take my sledges. Take my yoke. You'll burn that. And I will give you the animals to sacrifice in worship. You can have my oxen. I will pay for everything. You can build your place of worship. You can Be involved with the work of worship, and it won't cost you anything. Can you feel the temptation right here, right now? So I know exactly what my heart would do if that offer was made to me on this day. David can worship for free. Bing. Free? Free. What about David? So you need to read your Bible, get into these stories. What about David? Does David go, sweet deal, I'm in. Does David go, 
this is like the best day ever. Wait till I get to gospel community and tell these guys. Free. Does David go, nice. This guy pays. Worship happens. I get to hold on to my money. Will David even tolerate the thought of worship of the Lord costing him personally nothing? But the king said to Araona, no. But I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. Okay, everybody feel that? I love David's resolve here. I love his fire. I love his no hesitation. There is no pulling up of his account balance online just to see where he's at. There is no running of the numbers in Excel. There is none of that. His heart was set on participating in the cost of worship. It was abhorrent to David to even think about somebody else paying and him holding on to his money. Immediately and forcefully and undeniably, he says, no, no deal, no way. I would never offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. Okay, let me say something very hard right now, but we're preaching to the membership in the life of our church. One of the most depressing 15 minutes of the last 90 days for me and you know my personality, so if I get depressed, it's like 15 minutes, and I'm like, ah, forget that, let's move on. This was one of the causes of that. We ran giving reports for the life of the Melrose Church for the first 90 days of 2014. We do that to give them to you, give them to me, so that we would know what our giving pacing has looked like, and spur you on to good works, and just help you to do that perfectly and intentionally and well. The city doesn't kick out a report for someone who gave nothing. And we ended up sending out way less reports than we have people who worship with us. And that gap right there grieved me. It grieved me that anybody, me included, would be a part of a gospel-centered church, be a part of the mission of God, be a part of being discipled and do it in a way that costs us nothing. That was grieving to me. That we would allow the next person, the next person, the next person to take care of the financial realities of seeing this church healthy, strong, well-funded, while we get to hold on to all of the money that Jesus is enabling us to earn, that we would actually be okay with worshiping the Lord our God in a way that didn't cost us anything. Okay, that's heavy, but that's a problem. That's a problem. Sometimes when you prepare to preach, the commentaries are a waste of time. (laughs) Don't write one of those if you're one of our Bible people. Sometimes when you prepare to preach, preach, Somebody will say something reflecting on the verses that just blows you away. 
Check out this quote from a guy named Matthew Henry. Sometimes helpful, sometimes not. But on this verse, this is what he wrote. Note, like note to self, note. Those know not what religion is, whose chief care is to make it cheap and easy to themselves. And who are best pleased with that which costs them the least pain or money. So I read something like that and I'm just on my face in repentance, right? This is an old dead guy bringing fire, heat. He's saying, I don't get the gospel if my great care is to make things cheap for myself. If I am best pleased by that which costs me the least possible. In other words, in this text, David, a man after God's heart, not perfect, but someone we can look to and say, help me respond like he did. He could have walked home that day, wicked, excited, excited, pleased like I was about that weight bench or even worse about that midnight movie, but David would not do it. The last verse in this text is, so David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels. That's Old Testament right there. Shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered up his offerings. I love that. What do we see? A generous heart. What else do we see? Giving accompanies our worship. Giving accompanies our worship. Okay, so this is always the way that it works with the saints. Someone whose heart has been overcome by the gospel would never dream of giving nothing to God, even though that temptation is huge, nor would they settle for giving just a little something out of their surplus. Okay, so I'm moving from heavy to heavier in this sermon. Here's the second temptation. The temptation to give only from leftovers. Only from leftovers. We see this addressed over and over in the scriptures, especially the New Testament. And perhaps nowhere clearer than in the story that we started with. Uh, you Bible people call it the story of the widow's might. It says that Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and he watched the people putting money into the treasury box. Many rich people put in large sums and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. Okay. Jesus is sitting in the temple, the house of God, the place of worship. His disciples are around him and he's watching people give. We don't do this nowadays. <laughs> that would be interesting. In those days, the treasury box where you would go was in the public court and people would come and give and people would stand and watch. It was just a part of the culture of that time. You could see how much people were giving. And so Jesus is watching. University professor comes up and puts in $2,000. Chief financial officer comes up and puts in $4,000. Defense attorney comes up and puts in $10,000. NBA player comes up and puts in $50,000, seemingly large 
sons. And then, almost invisible, this little, old, frail widow inches over to the treasury box. She's kind of embarrassed. She's waited till no one's up there. And her withered hand has two tiny, small, rusty copper coins that you probably could barely see. And in faith, she gives one, and she gives the next one. And then she quietly shuffles away. Here's my question. In this story, who does Jesus notice? Who does Jesus point out? Who does Jesus commend? All right, so who would we Bostonians have noticed in that story? Come on, who would we have noticed? The NBA guy. Look at that, 50,000. Or maybe the CFO or the defense attorney or whoever gave the biggest of the gifts. And what do we do? We write that, that name. We post that tweet. We give them a brick with their grandmother's name in it. We notice the person who gives the most. Who would we never notice? Who would you not even remember went to the treasury box? The widow. She would just not even register, right? If I said, give me the list of everybody who gave, she would be the last one. But not with Jesus. Jesus is always flipping everything upside down, isn't he? It's the coolest thing. Who does Jesus notice? Come on, who does Jesus notice? Yeah, he notices the widow. The text says that he called his disciples to him. Please don't miss this. Please. He hustles his disciples over and he says, yo, 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 come here, come here, come here, come here. Quick, quick, quick. Look, look before she leaves. Did you see that? Did you see that? Jesus gets excited about the widow. And they say, what? You mean the old lady that gave the, the two coins that add up to one penny? And Jesus says, yes, yes. Tell me you didn't miss that. Tell me you didn't miss that. Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all who are contributing to the offering box. Why? For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. Okay. The others giving to God and his house and the advance of his gospel in this story, what did it cost them? Basically, nothing. It basically didn't cost them anything. It was given out of their abundance. That means out of their surplus or their leftovers or what was totally unencumbered extra money. That's where they began to give from. In other words, they were giving not from what cost them. They were just going to not get the newest LeBron 10s that just came out. They were going to have to wait six more months. Or they were just not going to get the newest line of furniture for the patio at the Cape House. That might have to wait till next summer. Or they were just going to have to Amazon.com and not purchase the DVD set of Breaking Bad. Is that what's hot? If that's not what's hot, forgive me. Whatever's hot. Just like surplus, extra stuff they passed on to be able to give. Do you feel this? 
In other words, what? The first thing they did with their money was take care of themselves and everything on their list of essentials or almost essentials. And then they came to the temple and they gave out of their leftovers. It cost them nothing. It cost them almost nothing. But the widow, what did she do? She gave out of what she had to live on. For the widow, the question was, am I going to eat tonight? Or am I going to give to the God of my salvation and the work of the gospel and the covenant in his house and his temple? Please don't miss the weight of this story. This lady did not eat that night. She preferred to give. And Jesus said what? She gets it. She gets it. That is what it looks like to give holy. Okay, illustration. When we were raising the money to get into this space, to plant this church, and to keep doing this work that we really feel Jesus has called us to, I talked with anybody who would talk to me about possibly giving to the building. Anybody. And so one person I talked with was an acquaintance of mine who I just happened to know that he and his wife together make over $300,000 a year or so. Now, I'm fine with that. Praise God. Go make as much money as you can. Just be generous with it. He was somewhere in that ballpark of earnings. And I sat with him and I said, hey, we got this opportunity to do this thing with this building. Here's what we're doing. Is that something you would be interested in? And he gave me a big yes. Yes, I would love to participate in this with you. So I was like, ooh, my heart started to get a little happy right there. Next day, I saw him. He had his envelope ready. He gave it to me. I was very chill and cool. Like, thanks so much. You know, we'll keep you in the loop on everything that's happening. We'd love to have you come by and worship with us. Very straight face. Then I ran into the bathroom and I tore that open, that envelope open, because I'm thinking, okay, this is really going to help make a dent in what we're trying to do. Inside was a $100 bill. $100 bill. Two emotions rolled over me in that bathroom. The first was wrath. I'm just being honest. I was like, bro, are you kidding me? $100. And he made a big show of it. I'm giving you this in honor of my mom, etc., etc. It made me very angry in that moment. I almost wanted to say, you know what? Just, just keep that. You can hang on to that. I knew that the gift was not costly. It was just a pittance. It was just whatever. Here you go. That was my first response. I'm not saying whether that was a holy one or not. But here was the second one, and I spent some time in that bathroom. It was conviction. And I just sensed the Father by the Spirit saying to me, Stop. Forget about him and his gift. What about you? What about you? At the end of the day, what is the difference between how he gave and how you give? Cruz, is there any difference at all? You're going to get riled up, but what about you? Think of it like this. If Jesus sat right there every Sunday, every Sunday, and and watched us give, or if he like had the master password to online Seven Mile Road giving fire, and he saw the way that you give, and he does. But if he did, 
Would he watch you give? And would he be calling like angels and saints and that old widow who's in heaven rejoicing to him and saying, time out, time out, time out. Look at this. Look at this. Whoa. Look at this. Look at the generosity. Look at the sacrifice. Look at the cost in the way that Matt Cruz gives to the advance of my gospel and the building of his church. That is beautiful. That was my second emotion. Conviction. I can judge others in a second, but when that measure is on me, how do I measure up? I want that so bad for me and for you and for us that we would give in a way that costs us something. And that in doing so, we would, we would show off the grace of Jesus. That we would give in a way that costs us something. Okay, this is why the tithing question has always been somewhat confusing to me in pastoring you and, and planting church and churches. When someone says to me, Matt, are Christians required to tithe? I always just pause there for a minute. And I'm like, okay. Does that question mean that you, believing the promises of the gospel to be true, and I don't have time to delineate them, but they are just eternal and astounding, believing that the promises of the gospel are true, that you've been bought with a price, that you, your intellect, your opportunity, your health, and therefore your money, all belongs to Jesus. Are you seriously considering giving less than a tithe to Jesus and his church and his work? Is that what this question is about? I mean, tithing is a beautiful benchmark baseline. We could look at all the history of how the church saints have thought about giving. But the big idea in the New Testament is not percents. The big idea is it all belongs to Jesus. And each of us is supposed to carefully, prayerfully, generously, thoughtfully, faithfully decide what giving can look like for us. And I can't imagine American Bostonians landing at a place that says, yeah, that's going to be less than tithing for me. For some of us, that would be faithful, generous, sacrificial giving. For many of us, that's just a beginning. That's just a beginning of what it would look like to give in a way the costs. And so here's what we want you to do in this season and this week as you're thinking about your life here with us. First thing, would you settle in your heart like David? I am not going to be the one who lets others carry the financial load of the work of worship and discipleship and mission and church planning. I'm not going to be Matt Cruz in that movie theater. I won't do it. I'm not going to have my story be, my giving cost me nothing. No way. If that is you, I love you, and I'm for you, and I want to see the blessings of God abound on you. Settle in your heart today. I'm going to respond like David. And then second, settle in your heart to settle where to be like the penny widow. In other words, say, I'm going to give joyfully, and I'm going to give sacrificially before I do anything else with my money. Remember how a Christian gives first 
we give. Then we spend and save and invest. Like her, I'm going to give. It's going to cost. And I'm going to do that before I do anything else. Then go consider your income. Everybody in this room is all over the map on income, right? All of us are at different seasons in life. Consider your station or your calling in life. Consider how many children you're feeding or what the circumstances of your financial life are. Think deeply, carefully on it. Think about essentials and non-essentials. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide your heart in thinking through that. Talk with people in your gospel community about these things. And settle in your heart to say, I am going to give big, happy, costly, sacrificially. I wasn't kidding before when I said that the prayer that I pray is that we would be the most generous church in the history of Massachusetts. I don't know how we would gauge that. I don't know what the per capita thing would be. But wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't it be cool if we realized someday, remember, it's better to give than to receive. Why is that? Not because of the warm, fuzzy feeling that you get, but because you store up treasure in heaven. Wouldn't it be the wildest thing ever for Seven Mile Roads to stand before Jesus and to realize he rejoiced, he commended, he was wowed at the way that we gave. If you're like in high school, give. You get an allowance, give. You get a birthday present, give. If you're in college, give. First thing you do with your paycheck, even if it's a pittance, give. And if Jesus has given you health and intelligence and opportunity to earn money, give. Give. Have your giving and your worship be a part of joyful sacrifice to the Lord. You guys know that over the summer, we meet as a member forum of the church to say, here's what our last year was like. Praise Jesus for his grace. And here's our intentions for our new year. I would love if we get here at that August meeting and we say, hey, what did we think we were going to give? And what did we give? See that? That would be phenomenal. That would rejoice the heart of Jesus. That would get the glue off your hands. That would enable the work of worship, but more than anything, that would set you free from trusting in and depending on money to giving gladly to the work of God for his glory and for your joy. It's better to give than to receive. He who gives sparingly, reaps sparingly. He who gives hugely, bountifully, reaps bountifully. That's a promise from God. Okay, let's pray together. Father, we have treasure in the new heaven and the new earth. It's going to blow our minds. The work of the gospel is to fill the new heaven and the new earth with sons and daughters of God. The work of your gospel is done here through word and sacrament, through community, through repentance and faith and worship through the making of disciples and the planning of churches. I love the people in this room. I pray that each of their stories would be, 
Wow, they gave. It cost them a bunch. They cut out a lot of luxury in their life. But they gave with joyful hearts. They were like David. There was no shot at their worship costing them nothing. But instead, over and over and over again, in every season of life, with not much, with a ton, there was giving. There was joyful, sacrificial giving. I pray that you would move on our hearts to get it there. I pray that we would not be afraid to talk about these things with each other. That the story of our church would be wonder how such a small place could fund the gospel so amply and so richly. I pray that you'd do it. Do it and that you'd set us free. I pray that you'd start with me. Hear my prayer for these things. Amen. Amen.